Why, hello there. Welcome to the Second Pot Podcast. This is... It It reminds me of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, hello there. Well, or a bad pickup line. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, if I was trying to pick up our listeners, I would have said, how are you doing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> sleepy, really in alert. It's reminiscent of all the times that I fell asleep in church. History and the- Anyway, this is the Second Pop Podcast. Wait, I am- let's start over. This is great. What do you mean? People will love this introduction. Okay, keep going. Why would we ever start this thing over? <laughs> okay, keep going. For a third time, this is the second pot podcast. I am Caleb Spiker here with Serena Wolf. We are at Trinity, um, and we are going to look at uh, more of the life of times of John Wesley today, and look specifically at the uh, Ordo Salutis and the means of grace and the way of salvation in the Wesleyan tradition. So, here we go. So, Caleb, yesterday um, you preached on the topic of grace, and uh, I thought it was another good sermon, some good theology, and like last week, I have a few questions for you. So, you ready? Yeah. All right. You talked about grace and kind of the Wesleyan understanding of it. And the whole point of grace in the Wesleyan paradigm is uh, the movement of God in our life to bring us not just to the point of salvation where we're justified, but also to keep uh, growing us into Christ-likeness, which we call sanctification, um, with the ultimate goal of the Christian life being entire sanctification or being perfected in love. We hope for that in this lifetime. For a lot of people, I think it doesn't happen until the point of death. But, you know, we press forward. Apparently, there was a pastor over at Cyprus uh, maybe 20 years ago. Like, not like the lead pastor, but somebody on staff um, who'd been entirely sanctified. That's awesome. I I would be afraid of having a conversation with them because, like, I'm afraid I'd infect them. Well, it's I like, mean, well, you had it, <laughs> not anymore. I mean, the Sorry. good news is that it's God's grace and our cooperation with that grace, <laughs> our yielding to that grace that brings sanctification. And so, if God does that work in our life, I don't think you have enough power to destroy that work. I would hope not. You might bring some temptation. Um, it's like the just the the ordinary the orneriness in me like I'd I'd find myself trying to make not necessarily dirty jokes but just a little bit see if see if we can get him to chuckle at something that an entirely sanctified person wouldn't chuckle at. Hmm. Hmm. Just That's a conversation we'll have to have later. I I want to know what things you think an entirely sanctified person wouldn't chuckle at. We don't need to have that on this podcast. Yeah. But, um, okay. Uh, so you talked about prevenient grace, which is the grace that goes before us, uh, that draws us to God before the point of justification. You talked about justifying grace that makes it as though we hadn't sinned, allows us to be reconciled to God, to, be, uh, to enter a peaceful relationship with God, and you talked about sanctifying grace, the grace that, um, that helps us grow in Christ-likeness. All of that so that we remember that we are saved by grace. We are saved by faith. Both of those things are not our own doing. So we don't have any right to boast in our work. All right. Does that sound like a fair recap? I think so. Okay. So... Here we go. Prevenient grace. 
that is a big prevenient is a weird word. Um, yeah, why we why we chose why we choose to go with prevenient rather than preventing or even some third word like you know like uh, you know pre just stop at pre pre grace pre grace. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a big word. Yeah, well, I think if we hear preventing grace, a couple of things happens. Um, you mean it makes it so that we don't get grace? Well, I, I mean, yeah, there's that, right? I hadn't thought of that. But, like, what does it prevent? Hmm. Um, so to use that word correctly, you also have to have um, kind of a, a good developed understanding and theology of the origin and nature of sin. Mm-hmm. So, Because preventing grace when Wesley used it, is grace that prevents us from wandering too far from God. Right? Oh, it's grace that prevents our destruction. Yes, ultimately. yes. Ultimately, yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, so prevenient grace. All right, uh, big fancy word. You gave a little bit, I think, um, a little bit of an example yesterday, but could you elaborate? Can you give an example of preventing or prevenient grace in your life? looking back that you experienced? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one is that I was born into the family that I was and not some other one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, born into a family that had <clears throat> two loving parents who loved Jesus and wanted their kids to love Jesus too. And, um, you know, had regular, spiritual disciplines is, is part of their lives and, um, you know, insisted that, uh, my little sister and I go to church even when we didn't want to. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, <clears throat> the big obvious one. Um, you know, I had the friends that I did growing up who, for the most part, had parents who were kind and loving and generous and, you know, that there wasn't, um, you know, the opportunity to, I don't know. I'm not answering that question very good. I'm struggling. Well. Because it's, it's hard to, it's hard to think of, you know, that which wasn't, um, you know, and, and when we talk about, you know, the, the prevention of, you know, other outcomes, um, you know, it's hard to imagine those outcomes. I mean, this is probably I'm not very good at empathy to begin with, right? It's like I'm just not what? very good at... <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm, I have not, huh? I've not reached perfection in love. I periodically am still sarcastic. I'll confess that to my band. <laughs> But no, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, pervenient grace in my life, you know, it's, it's all the little stuff that, um, you know, led up to both that um, desire to be justified in 95 and, um, and then, you know, the desire to be a follower of Jesus, you know, sometime there between 2005 and 2010, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, prevenient grace is something that you see in your rearview mirror. It's, it's not necessarily something you experience. Mm. Um knowingly. So I think, you know, I, I had a period in college where I still believed, but you wouldn't have, you would have known I was a little weird, right? Like I didn't like a lot of parties. I didn't, you know, um, I've got a better answer. Oh, okay. Go for it. But no, you finish yours and then, then I'll, 
Uh, anyway, you know, it, I didn't act on my belief. And when I, I would say that it was provenient grace that I became ill and had to return home. Um, because when I came back home and Sunday morning came around, I was like, well, might as well go to church. That's what I do. Um, I, I would say that even though I had already been justified, I would say that that was provenient grace. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, what happens after justification here in a few minutes. But yeah, and like you said, the fact that you had parents who were active in the church, you know, I was taken to a Baptist church most Sundays when I was little and felt loved by people there and was taught early that God loves me. And I think that was provenient grace in my life. So, so what's your better answer? Yeah, so um, I think part of it is we shouldn't think about these things as like three periods of grace, but rather they are concentric circles. Right? Yes. Like, you know, so like we don't cease experiencing provenient grace after we've come to saving faith in Jesus, mm -hmm. after we've come you know, after we've begun the path of sanctification, right? Like, like there's continues to be provenient grace as part of this whole thing. Yes. Um, so, you know, the, the provenient grace that, um, you know, like I think being born into the household I was is a huge bit of provenient grace. Um, but I think also, you know, when I was... And you know, I write, wrote an article about this for Firebrand about a month ago. Um, you know, when I was a junior in high school, you know, I read, I was reading the Beatitudes one night, and I'm like, man, this isn't me, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like I, <clears throat> I am not at all interested in, you know, these things of the kingdom. Um, and, you know, as is the case with most, uh, people whose brains have not been fully formed, they just, you know, you know, you get on the pendulum and you let it swing, mm -hmm. you know, as far as it will go. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I think about... You know, some of the people who God brought into my life while I was on that pendulum swinging into, you know, just goofiness. Um, and the, um, the, the way that they were able to demonstrate, and you know, I'm thinking of specifically of um, one of my college philosophy professors, Sean Graves. Um, thinking about you know David Watson, Jason Vickers. Mm -hmm. uh, if Kisker had been around, he may have been part of that, but you know, they'd pretty much gotten me, you know, been important in that role before he came to United. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, this this idea of you know, can we be orthodox and kind. Like, can we be gentle while being deeply committed to the truth? Um, and, you know, I think there, there was a element of, you know, not just sanctifying grace in meeting them and having them shape the, um, the world I was living in, um, but also preventing grace and preventing me from, you know, just leaving the tribe altogether yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, this is the difficulty about the Wesleyan paradigm of grace. Um, we talk about grace as though it does three different things. And, and in doing that, we end up making it sound like there are three different types of graces, and there aren't. There is God's grace, and these are three ways that we experience it. 
Um, and so it's not, you know, like I use the, the phrase, the Latin phrase, um, the order of salvation in one of my demon meetings. And David Watson was quick to say, isn't it the way of salvation? Because it is ordered somewhat, but it's not so neat and clean, right? So there's not, it's not steps A, B, and C, because that's not how humans are. <laughs> um, yeah, I think concentric circles is a good way to think about it. It's all one grace. That grace does different things to us, in us, through us. Um, all right, you ready for question two? Maybe I'll do better with that one. You, you did fine. You did fine. These are these are difficult things to to talk about and nail down. Um, so we talk about justifying grace, and this is when we receive the grace from God that helps us um, also receive the grace of faith. Right, like we recognize that Jesus is God the Son. Not, I mean, also son of God, but not son of God like you have a son, Caleb, right? So Jesus is also God, one of, one of the people of the Trinity. Um, anyway, we recognize that, and we come to understand that Jesus' death on the cross um, was payment for the sin of anyone who would believe in him and follow him, right? So that is called justifying grace. And in the sermon, you said, you know, justifying grace is a gift, but you don't have to accept it. So I agree, right? Um, you can pre be presented with the gospel, experience God's love, and still not accept justification. Here's my question for you. Once a person has been justified, once a person has accepted Christ or believe has belief and faith, um, can you later reject that? So Do can you lose? take the gift to the goodwill when you don't want it anymore? Yeah, yeah. Can we give up our salvation? Um, Wesley sure thought you could. Um, I mean, I... I guess that's, there are a lot of questions in this life that I have sort of theoretical answers for, but no conviction on, because, mm -hmm. you know, like, I tend to be convicted of my own sin, not other people's sin. You know, I tend to be convicted around my own stuff, not other people's stuff. Um, so, like, I... I guess I'm, I, I don't, I don't think there was ever a period where, you know, it was just like, you know, I don't want what Jesus offers. Um, so I don't have conviction around, you know, whether or not someone can, you know, give it up or, you know, as the. Uh, reform people I went to college with. Well, they never had to begin with, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. But yeah, I mean, my sense is the answer is probably yes. You know, you can, um, you can accept the the gift and then, um, you know, no longer choose to receive it. Like that, that, that would, that makes the most sense to me. Um, but I don't have a strong conviction there. What do you think? Um, so I think that you can follow Christ, have received grace, and then um, renounce Christ. I think that that is possible because that's what free will gives us, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I so, you know, Baptists have not always been reformed. That's in, a pretty new phenomenon. It is. It is. Um, it's not all Baptists. It's not all Baptists. Um, Just the ones who make headlines. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, in the Baptist tradition, you know, once saved, always saved. If God has done this, God will honor that covenant. And I, I don't know that that's completely wrong at all. The problem for me became, well, you know, if somebody backslides, uh, they, they didn't receive, they weren't part of the covenant in the first place. And I'm like, eh, I, don't know that we get, I don't know that we get to judge that. I don't know. Um, so I would love to be there um, in the, the line for judgment, if that, because in my head, that's what it looks like, right? Like it's this really long line, and we're all hanging out and having a good time until like the we're BMV. up. Yeah, kind of. Take a except, number. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, and I get to watch an atheist who had been a Christian. Hmm. And what I hope is that uh, God's like, so you believed, and then you stopped believing. What's that about? Nine times out of ten, it'll be um, it, it'll be on the church, right? Like, well, you know, I was misled, and you know, I couldn't reconcile faith with X, Y, or Z, or you know, I was misled, or nobody else lived out of faith. So, how was I supposed to know you, God, existed? Um, what I hope will happen is that God will be like, so that was really silly, wasn't it? And the atheist would be like, yes. And God would be like, okay, you still believe? Atheist be like, how can I not? Um, and then God be like, ha ha, I still love you. You know, welcome home, right? Like, I hope that's what it's like. But I don't know. I don't know. I think it'd be the greatest joke on the atheist. Like, ha ha, you still get to be here even though you didn't want it. Um, yeah. Judging yeah. whether or not somebody retains their salvation is above my pay grade. I don't, I don't want to be judge because nobody would make it, including me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I think part of the question is, you know, what do we think is achieved in salvation? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, I mean, and, and you go back to like, what is the problem with the fall? Like the problem with the fall is not that Caleb's going to hell. Right. Right. The problem with the fall is that, Caleb and the rest of humanity is separated from God. We have this broken relationship that needs to be fixed. Like Jesus doesn't come back just so we don't, you know, boil in oil for eternity in hell, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's not yep. the the idea. Um, you know, Jesus comes back so that we can know God. Um, and I think this kind of gets into the this idea of sanctifying grace, right? Like, um, and, and why we can't think of these graces as being, you know, temporal and linear. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, justifying grace that doesn't drive us to, you know, getting on that path of repairing our relationship with God. Like I, I'm not sure what to make of that. Well, is it justifying grace or is it pervenient? You know, it's grace, right? Um, anyway. I mean, can, I mean, this gets to, to James, right? Can one be justified simply by, you know, believing the right stuff and not by, entering into the work of sanctification. And James, brother of Jesus, said, nope. Yeah, sure seems that way. You know, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? Like, it's... Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... That that whole question of... So I would I would argue the more important question is not the person who was justified in the past and has walked away. 
The more important question is the person who thinks they are justified in the present and has done nothing to move closer to God since yeah. that day. Yep. Like, that's the person who I'm worried about. Yep. Um, and Because, I mean, that, that's, that's the person I was, right? Um, well, and as a pastor, I mean, that's the person who is in our care, right? Like, the person who often. is a part of your church or a part of a church who is not also uh, growing in holiness is a bigger concern. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I, I don't, you know, it's... And even for me, it's it's less this matter of, you know, when they die, will they be able to, you know, get into heaven or not? Like, I mean, that's... Like, I know that that was, you know, the ultimate question for American Christians for 100 years, but, you know, I mean, the, the bigger question is how long do you want to live without receiving the gift that God wants to give you. Yeah. I mean if 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 you have if you have essentially said, Jesus, I want you to save me from hell and then leave me alone. Like you're That's miss, you're salvation. missing out on on yeah. the gift that God wants to give you. Yeah. And th- this was a pendulum swinging thing for me um, because being raised Baptist like a lot of it is hell avoidance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, this is silly. Hell is not immediate. God loves me. I'm not going to worry about the afterlife. That's not what matters. Um, I think that's a of the pendulum swinging of the two sides, like preaching hellfire, preaching love, like not being worried about eternity, being worried about the present. I'd, I'd rather people err towards the present personally, uh, because fear is not actually a good motivator ultimately. Um, but you know, my grandmother is in hospice um, it, it's all, it's only a matter of time for all of us, but some people are clearly closer to, um, departing this time, this world, um, and entering the presence of the Lord. Some people are closer than others and my grandma's close. And, uh, that makes me sad, but what makes it bearable is that when I say goodbye, it's not the last I'll see of her. Mm-hmm. Um, that God is so loving that she will be in his presence. And someday I will too. So now, you know, I've kind of reevaluated my pendulum swing. Um, and while eternity is not my focus... the reality is eternal life is present and future. And I think we miss the entire gift without having both in mind, right? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. Well, and I think the goal, at least to some degree, is that um, the transition isn't jarring. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, you know, I knew God... God knew me. I mean, a bunch of aches and pains went away real, real fast, but, you know, emotionally, it was smooth sailing. Yeah. Um, All right, so let me ask you one more question. Are you ready? Sure. Um, Sanctifying grace. This is the grace of God in our lives after we have received the gift of justification that aids us in growing in Christ-likeness. And yesterday you said something that I, I just loved, you know, like God wants to transform you today. God wants to bring you back to the person you were meant to be. Factory original. Factory original. And, 
you know, I don't, in my notes, like I wrote down, this is, this is different than what the world offers. And I think that's what you said. But then I was like, Ooh, tell me more. And you went, (laughs) you went, you didn't stay Mm. there. Right. Um, Because the world right now, Western civilization as lived out in the United States um, is about finding your tribe and being true to true to yourself, except there's really not much freedom in identity <laughs> politics. And when I say politics, I don't mean like election. I mean like organizing our common life around our identity. The identity that the world offers is superficial and constraining. All right. So having said that, um, I have been an arrogant little brat in my life. Um, I believe God made me fairly intelligent. And there have been many times that that has made me prideful and probably just unbearable. Um, But it would be easy to say, well, God made me intelligent, and this comes along with it, and I'm just, I'm a competitive person. Um, So this is who God made me to be. Now, what, what, what do you say to people who, you know, um, I call it like I see it. That's just who I am. I... I tell people the truth. That's just who I am. Um, what do you say to a Christian who doesn't maybe understand who God made them to be or maybe doesn't... Mm, am I asking this the right way? I don't know. I think I get what you're saying, though. Um, you know, how, do you, how do you tell what is your true identity in Christ and what is you know the the leftover stuff from a broken world. Right. Um, yeah. So if that's the $64,000 question. What is, what it is to be who we, uh, were made to be and, you know, what is the leftover garbage from living in a fallen world? Um, and you know, this can be, hard to, to figure out, but, but my sense is that, um, whatever a person's true identity is, will not be in conflict with the character of Christ. Mm. Um, so like being a selfish jerk isn't, isn't factory original. Yeah. Um, you know, being, uh, being sacrificial probably is. I mean, even to the point where, you know, the, the gurus around self care and keeping good boundaries would have an issue with, with it. Right. Um, you know, like, I mean, this is like, this is part of, you know, my, you know, I have a certain level of dubiousness when people are like, oh, yeah, self-care, self-care, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. It's like, well, yeah, you can't run yourself into the ground, right? Like, you can right. only be as effective as what you have to give. But, you know, some people have been gifted with a big reservoir. Yep. You know, like, not everyone is equally, has equal capacity as it relates to sacrificialness. Like my wife Cindy, her sacrificial reservoir is miles deep. Yep. You know, it is. And it's far, far deeper than mine or most other people I know. Um, you know. So well, it would be it would be foolish for me to be like, you know, Cindy, the way that you're operating would exhaust me and lead me to burnout. You need to stop. Cause, you know, we've been gifted differently there. Yep. Like her true identity in Christ is just more sacrificial than mine. And my hope is that as I'm sanctified, I can become more sacrificial like she is, because I think, you know, our, our well is supposed to be deeper than most of us, you know, 
assume is reasonable. Well, because our well is not our own. And this is where self-care like, and self-help fall flat. Like, if you are not tapped into God's love, like if you are not connected deeply with that and you're trying to do everything on your own without God's grace, yeah, you're going to have to set boundaries because your well is going to get exhausted really quick. I speak from personal experience, right? So, so yeah, sacrificial kindness. I think this is a don't, big one for us today. Don't think a person can be too kind, right? Um, you can be too nice. Yes. You know, be you can be too concerned with you know just keeping harmony while horrible things are going on. Well, that's not actually harmony. Right. Like that's that's a if you if you're if your goal is to avoid conflict, you don't actually have healthy relationships. If your goal is to say what you want to say and what you think needs to be said without taking into uh, consideration the conflict, you don't have healthy relationships. (laughs) There is a ditch on both sides, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's a ditch on both sides of almost everything, yep. right? Um, you know, we have this this accountable discipleship group that's talking about health issues. And this past uh, this past session, we were talking about um, caloric consumption mm. and how you know, for most people, it is a narrow path with a deep ditch on both sides. Yeah. Right. Um, there are very few people who are um, wired in such a way that they eat what they need for maintenance and they're happy with it and they're done. Right? Well, because food is also tied to fellowship and happiness and all sorts of things, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so you have on one side, you know, the the people like me who should probably weigh 165-ish, but have a 250-pound appetite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really hard to just eat that 165-pound appetite that, you know, that intellectually I know will be satisfying. I know will like lead me to feel good like in the other systems of my body mm-hmm. you know so it's like you have you have the the consumption that'll make you huge the consumption that um will will keep you in that range that is most healthy and then you have you know the consumption that's going to make it so all of your muscles pop and then it starts feeding your ego, right? You know, so it's like not eating like a 250-pound person, not eating like a 115-pound person, because these are the two I want to do. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to eat maintenance. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing satisfying about maintenance. It's neither, it neither feeds my gluttony nor my vanity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's the way it is for most people, right? It's like... We, we want to use food to feed either our gluttony or our vanity. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, speaking that which is true, you know, we either want to uh, avoid conflict at all costs mm-hmm. or we want to be heard even if maybe it's not the time or place. Right. Um, Which is pride. Right. right. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find that, that happy medium where, um, where what we are saying consistently is about increasing flourishing and, you know, extending the kingdom. Um, my, um, my favorite Bible passage to reflect upon 
in this type of scenario is actually Jesus and the rich young ruler. First off, because it's a good reminder that I am the rich young ruler, right? Um, But then, you know, in that passage, at the end, when Jesus says, you know, you this this young man comes to Jesus asking what he needs to do to enter the kingdom of God. Because he, you know, Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And the rich young man says, well, I've, I've done all that. I've, I keep the commandments. And Jesus says, okay, you're only lacking one thing. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. And the young man walks away because he can't bring himself to do it. But, but Jesus doesn't, like, Scripture doesn't say Jesus then rips into him. Scripture says Jesus loved him. Like, it, it saddened Jesus that this man would not see the danger of his wealth. Um, and Jesus loved him, still told him the truth, but didn't shame him, didn't lecture him. He didn't get canceled. He didn't get canceled. Because Jesus cancels sin. He doesn't cancel sinners. Yeah. Um, so I always think about that, right? Like, And um, this is also something that cognitive behavioral therapy addresses. So if you have a thought, you know, um, first, is it true? Okay. Is it helpful? Is it kind? Right? Because... Truth that is not helpful, there's no point to it, right? Truth that isn't helpful isn't helpful. Like, it it, it can be discarded for a time. Yeah, and I mean, the hard part is being able to distinguish when something is Mm -hmm. helpful and when it's not. Because, you know, there are, um, you know, it's hard to recognize where other people are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because just because something is helpful for you and thinking through something may not be helpful for someone else. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I consistently struggle with this one, right? Because being someone who just loves ideas and thinking through the implications of ideas, it is in thinking through ideas that a lot of people haven't thought about very extensively. Um, you know, it is easy for me to start talking about the conclusions that I've reached in the presence of people who are just starting to look at it. Right. I mean, this is, this is the, the danger of, of most things in the church. And, you know, I've talked to a whole bunch of colleagues about this and, you know, we all kind of have this, this same reflection is because I'm thinking about church stuff for a hundred hours a week and nobody else is thinking about church stuff for a hundred hours a week. Like I can get very bored mm-hmm. before, you know, anyone else is even like, you know, sniffing it, you know, what, what I'm stepping in. Um, you know, and this is, this is the difficulty with vision, right? Like, like vision that is well cast, the person who is casting it, it makes them sick by the end. Oh Yeah. It's, it's like, like, I talked about this enough. Didn't I talk about this enough? I mean, like, the, the yeah. redundancy is painful. Yep. Um, and I struggle with that, like, big time, you know. Um, but, yeah. 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 Well, and this is a danger um, for us in sanctification, right? As God works on works in us in one area. This is just a danger in general. So if I read something theological 
and it's easy for me to grasp, and then I try to teach it, and people struggle with it. It would be easy for me to be like, why aren't you getting this? Um, I don't know that Cindy struggles with this, but you know she is highly motivated to give and just wired. So, you know, you come into a situation where giving is necessary and Cindy's giving, 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 and she sees other people who aren't. I think, at least for me, it would be easy to go, what's wrong with them? Well, <laughs> we're all different. We're not, not, we're not all there yet, right? Like, I, I imagine this is, this is the struggle of growth in sanctification. No struggle in anything, really. So. Well, and I think what's interesting is that, uh, you know, the apostles don't seem to get this, right? Like, how many times is, you know, Paul like, are you children? Like, do you, how do you not understand this? I spent time with you and taught you this. Did you forget so quickly? Yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder how much of that was rhetorical too, though, right? Yeah. Like, I, I refuse to believe Paul was not loving, and so in scripture where it feels like, oh, maybe Paul's not being loving here, like, mm, or maybe this is meant to be like, hey, come on, we've talked about this, you know this, you know, like more of a, I don't know, not really being unloving, but being like, remember, remember, come on, remember, you know, like I do with my kids. We talked about this, you remember? So. Yeah, I remember. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. So, all right. Well, uh, I think we covered that last question. How do you tell what's fractory model and what's not? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like, if, and I'll put it this way. If we are created in the image of God, then... It is not our true identity, the things that are in conflict with the nature of God and the character of God. Yep. Um, you know, this might be a good point to bring up another $25 phrase, the epistemic consequences of sin. You and I both are like, chuckling a little internally because we recognize this as a phrase used liberally by our colleague and mentor, uh, David Watson. But I mean, he's right, right? Like, when you can't figure out what is part of who you are supposed to be, mm. it's because the sin nature is still, you're still wrestling with that sin nature. It's broken our head a little bit. It has broken our head. Yeah. And so this is why I have to commit to memory. And I, I, I have to, I have to commit to memory. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <sighs> Because that is what I'm supposed to, th those are supposed to be markers in my life. And when they aren't, I'm off course. All right, Caleb, you thirsty? I don't know. <laughs> this is terrifying. You what? just handed me the Darth Vader of mugs. I... I'm it doesn't have any. It doesn't have any marking on it. There are no nutrition facts. I am. I don't know what is inside. Like you could be poisoning me today. I'm not poisoning you. I don't want your job, and um, I like your wife, and she might not like me anymore if I poisoned you. So, um, I uh, told you last week that this week we were gonna do something different for caffeine. 
what I wanted to do, I'm not going to tell you in case I get to do it later, but what I wanted to do was pick up a particular drink from a shop that doesn't open until 10 a.m. And we're recording before then. Okay. So I remember once upon a time, you said we should test out each other's morning caffeine. Oh, gross. (laughs) So um, my oldest daughter brewed us some hot tea. Mm. Hot tea because it's only 70 degrees and it's overcast and a little rainy. And it seems like the perfect morning for a tea. So this is black tea. Black tea, um, you know, doesn't have as much caffeine as coffee or those energy drinks we drink. What do you smell, Caleb? It smells like cinnamon. It does smell a little bit like cinnamon. That's true. Um, so before I tell our listeners what this is, I want to do a taste test and see what you think. Okay? Okay. All right, here we go. Listeners from the Darth Vader of mugs, Caleb Spiker is going to take a drink of my favorite morning tea. It's hot. Oh, it's hot. Oh, it's hot. It's hot. Oh, my face is, oh, ow. Okay, I don't think you tasted anything because you drank too much at once because it's hot. I drank, my tongue is burned. How do you do that? You take sips, Caleb. I did sip. I mean, I can see why people drink it. You burn all your taste buds, and it doesn't matter. It Okay. Um, so this delicious tea, if you open, I want you to grab that mug and just open it up and look at it. Because first off, this is fun. Um, you got to move it around in the light a little bit, because you will see... This tea has some edible glitter in it, which makes me happy. Can you see the edible glitter, Caleb? I do see edible glitter. Yeah. All right. So this tea comes from my favorite favorite online tea shop. And if I lived where this tea shop is, it would be my favorite tea shop, period. (coughs) This tea is brought to you by Happy Turtle Tea. They make fan teas. So this particular tea is called Night in the Glittering Caves. It is a uh, Lord of the Rings-inspired tea. It's delicious. It's hot. It, I did say it's hot tea. I don't drink hot things. I, I've never learned that skill. Now I can't feel my tongue. So what I'm hearing is this caffeine was a bust. Is that what I'm hearing? If it works for you, that is wonderful. It's delicious. You need to take the lid off that mug and let it cool down a little so you can drink it again. These mugs uh, are insulated and they do a great job. This hot tea will stay nice and piping hot for eight hours. Oh, my goodness. What you don't drink, I will. That that thing is just, it's it's just billowing smoke. It is literally on fire, this tea. It's not smoke, it's steam. Water cannot catch fire, and I know this because if it could, I would have done that already. Well, good water can't catch fire. Lake yeah, Erie I, I was, I was caught about fire. to say, uh, the Cuyahoga River has some uh, explaining to do. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there we have it, listeners. Um, Caleb Spiker doesn't drink hot drinks, which is so sad. But, you know, because we record this caffeine part first, uh, everything you've just listened to, to this point, uh, I'm sure Caleb will pick up that mug and try the caffeine a little bit during that time. And he'll love it by by the time we're done today. He won't. It's okay. I will try. But I I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little gun shy now, as much as my tongue hurts. Again, I thought I drank it really, really slow. Well, you probably didn't drink it quite slow enough. And, yeah, people mean different things when they say hot. So. Yours was pulled out of the Earth's core. (laughs) Mine was poured out of an electric kettle into these cups in which the tea was steeped. I have no idea what that means. Okay. 
It means this is good tea. This is, isn't is Lipton. steeped, like brewed. Yes. Okay. Yes. You steep tea, you brew coffee. Okay. So, welcome to the world of tea. Uh, the next time we record a little later in the morning, I will bring a cold drink. Okay. All right. I, I, I can't. You can't even rate this because you can't. You, I mean, it's the first one hurt. that, like, made my tongue hurt. So, like, I, I don't know how that can, like, I don't even know how it tastes. All my taste buds are gone. Well, just so you know, it tastes delicious. It's nutty. It does have some cinnamon. This is a great fall tea. I've had this during this, like, all summer, waiting for fall to come. It's the best. I will try it again, but at this point, just take your word for it. All right. I give I give uh, Night in the Glittering Caves <laughs> uh, a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Do you have any ice cubes? I don't. All right, Caleb. Where are you at with the tea? All right. Let's try this. just tastes like hot water what it burned all my taste buds off my tongue it just tastes like hot water to me i don't even know what to do with that i don't even know what to do with that i taste that and it's so rich this is a this is a rich strong tea it's spicy not like spicy hot but like Spicy has spices. I mean, I, nutty. S- I smell stuff, but like mm. once it goes in my mouth, it just oh. it just reads like oh, that makes me so sad. Dirty water. It's going to give me glittery poop later. <sighs> I'm so sad. Well, if there are people who are listening who want to try this tea, they can email me or message me and I would be happy to send them a sample of it because it's so good I mean I don't it's fine it just tastes like hot water it's so good if if that's your thing I am oh I'm happy for you this makes me sad all right I tell you what next time I will bring in my morning caffeine I routine want, I don't want Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> was that whiny enough? That was that was very whiny. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, it won't burn your tongue. And the caffeine pill chaser really does the trick. The caffeine pill chaser? Yeah. What are you talking about? So you have your liter of Diet Dew uh-huh. and your 200 milligrams of caffeine and you drink, drink, pill, drink, drink, and... You're ready to go. I am not afraid to share publicly that I have been diagnosed with ADHD, and to help with my symptoms, I take Adderall. Guess yeah, what? You probably don't want. Guess the what? I shouldn't have with Adderall. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. no. I, I would skip that part if I. Thanks. Were you. I will. I will. Yeah. Although I bet I could go out and have a really good run after that. Probably could. So okay. Well. I'm sad that this caffeine was a little bit of a flop. Um, I mean, like, okay, it, like, the initial sip burned my tongue, so I can only score it so high. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, it's not hateful tasting. I mean, it's not like, like, we've had, like, that monster was, like, it tasted horrible. Oh, yeah. Like, this we've had some really terrible stuff. It didn't taste horrible. It was just kind of... And it's not sweetened. There's no sweetener. I can tell. In this. Well, it's not bitter. <laughs> no, it just tastes like hot water. Oh my gosh. Maybe maybe tea is an now, acquired taste. Now, I've this been is drinking... this is no knock on Maya. I'm sure she steeped it. She did. Perfectly. Of course she did. But yeah, I just, you know, I I take a sip and I'm like this just tastes like hot water to me. Mm. Maybe tea is an acquired taste. It probably right? is. Like I've been drinking tea as long as I can remember. As long as I can remember. There's been iced tea in my life and then hot tea 
and now iced tea. I just I don't like that at all. That tastes horrible. Okay. God, I've tried. Like I sold iced tea. I just, just couldn't get into it. You're giving me a look like you want to strangle me. No, I don't want to strangle you. I'm just, you know, thinking about the future. So next week, you bring in your morning caffeine. Uh, although, yeah. So the next time we record, you bring in your morning caffeine, and then I will bring in... Um, yeah, next time we have a later recording, you can bring in your fancy cold caramel thing. And it'll be fun. Thing. Yeah. I'm guessing it's a caramel thing. I don't know. Who knows? You'll be surprised. All right. I'll be surprised. So what's our takeaway this morning, Caleb? Um, that, that none of this is complicated, right? Like this isn't sophisticated, but all of it is hard. Mm, yep. um, it's hard to recognize that you know, we can't, fix ourselves it's hard to admit that we need the work of someone else to fix it you know it is hard to um you know make the decision to reject the parts of us that are not of god mm-hmm. it's hard to make the decision to embrace the new creation that God wants to do in us. Um, but none of it's sophisticated, right? Like there isn't this like fancy 27 step process to do it. It's, um, it's a will thing. Yep. And it, that, you know, just because it's not sophisticated doesn't mean it's easy. Like it's incredibly hard. Um, but you know, I mean, that's, that's the way, life is right like it it is not sophisticated like there's no sophisticated process for figuring out what maintenance food consumption is Mm -hmm. right you know you write down what you eat you take notes you say huh when i eat these things this happens when i eat these things this happens i mean not even like like food groups just like total number like at 2200 my weight doesn't change for months. Mm-hmm. At 1,800, you know, that feeds my vanity. Mm-hmm. At 3,000, that feeds my gluttony. Mm-hmm. Right? You know? Um, and there's nothing sophisticated, right? It's not like, oh, don't eat carbs. You know, oh, you have to eat, uh, you know, uh, kale between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, right? Like, Can I just say that kale chips are delicious? I didn't they expect that. They are pretty that. good. Kale I chips, was like, what? Yeah. How can these be delicious anyway? I mean, kale is terrible. Kale chips are pretty good. Kale That's chips are, are great. Um, yeah, I mean, and like in the Christian life, it's no different, right? Like it, there's not this this sophisticated... Uh, you know, like, like there are ordinances of God that we keep mm-hmm. because they work. Um, you know, we participate in accountable discipleship groups because mm-hmm. they work. You know, we we that that accountability, those people watching us, watching over us in love, it works. Um, but it's like there's not like a. 600 book reading list we have to finish by the time we die. Right. And, you know, 500 different things we need to implement into our lives to become, you know, the people who God created us to be. Like, it's it's a pretty simple process. You know, it's read and pray and worship and be surrounded by people who love you and want to see you grow into the person who God's created you to be. Now, I forgot the sacraments. I love the sacraments. Well, that's part of yeah. worship. Okay. Um, you know, like, and there are an infinite number of ways to do that that work for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like some people like praying and reading in the morning. Some people like reading and praying at night. Um, personally, I get really excited about um, 
you know, as a family, reading and praying and singing before bed every night. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is huge. Um, you know, it's even better if, you know, once a week, you and three other families come together to read and pray and sing t- and, you know, eat together. And then, you know, like it's yep. like there are these these things you can do that are not particularly sophisticated, but, you know, require making it a priority that, you know, history has shown us make a difference for becoming more like Jesus, for, you know, discovering, you know, more and more who we were created to be and, you know, living in a way that, that is fulfilled and, um, and peaceful and, and joyous and that sort of thing. So, yeah, big takeaway. There's no sophisticated magic bullet, but, you know, it does take some effort in the synergy to experience the fullness of the gift. Yeah. Agreed. I have nothing to add to that. And tea tastes like dirty hot water. <sighs> oh, just you wait. I'm going to make you drink green tea now. You know what green tea tastes like? I'm guessing. Grass. Dirty, hot bathtub water. Grass water. Anyway. All right. Well, Caleb, um, I don't hold your unsophisticated palate against you. Thank Thanks you. for trying the tea that I brought in. I uh, said it wasn't terrible. Yeah, like, no, it's, that's you know, if I was freezing and this was the only thing that was going to help heat up my internal bits, you know, I'd probably put a couple ice cubes in it and drink it. Yeah. But. And tea has plenty of antioxidants. Oxidants. Did I say that correctly? I probably. Uh, in it, so it's good. Just don't drink it after, like, you know, 6 p.m. So, all right. Well, there we have it. Another podcast done. So, listeners, until next time, grab some tea or some Mountain Dew Rise and stay caffeinated. And stay in love with Jesus. Put a second pot on.